Well, I'm so very happy to be here this morning. Uh, as Blake mentioned, uh, our family, we've come here on a few Sunday nights. Uh, we don't have a regular Sunday night service at our church, and we're kind of looking for a place just to come and, and to be fed. And, and we've we very much enjoyed that, and we'll continue to come when we can. So I want to thank your church uh, for being a blessing to us. Uh, Blake has been a great blessing. As he said, we've developed a friendship. And, uh, and Blake, I very much appreciate uh, how you've ordered the service. I mean, uh, just in, in setting it up for the sermon this morning from uh, Deuteronomy 6. If you want to go ahead and turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, for me in verses 4 through 9 this morning. Uh, so I get to, to preach on, on a passage and, and topic that I'm uh, very passionate about. We'll see in this passage the importance of biblical instruction in the home. So, of course, this, this sermon is going to have uh, some more direct application to families with children in the home, uh, but it's relevant to everyone uh, for at least two reasons. First of all, uh, we should all be very much invested in the Christian home, um, because after all, the, the Christian home is, is one of God's primary means for advancing His kingdom. Right, as we raise up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as we uh, shoot them out like, like arrows into the world, uh, this is one of God's primary means for advancing the kingdom. And so even if you don't have children in the home, well, you're a part of a larger church family, and you should be invested in that. You should care very much about uh, the Christian home. And then secondly, uh, this is important for everyone because this passage, we're going to see... Uh, uh, that at least in a general sense, this is relevant to all of us, no matter what your family status is. Uh, I've titled this sermon, Upon Your Heart and in Your House, and no doubt all of us should have God's Word upon our hearts and in our houses. And so uh, let's go ahead and read the passage together. If you would stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, uh, we'll read Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this instruction that you gave to the people of Israel and to us today. I pray that you'll help us to see this through a gospel lens. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see how this applies uh, to our own hearts, to our own homes. And I pray that... Uh, your spirit would um, enable us to respond appropriately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we first uh, moved into our home three years ago, uh, I remember we, we read this passage in our house as a kind of, kind of a way of, of dedicating our, our new home. In fact, we, we read it in the very same room that we gather now every night for family worship. And so uh, just as I was preparing the sermon, as I was thinking about that, um, it was, it was uh, a, great, a great time of, of reflection for me. 
And uh, we're going to be talking about this, this practice of family worship later on as we get into some, some application. But, but more broadly, again, um, in this passage, we see that uh, God's word is to be upon our heart and in our house. And so uh, if you were paying attention to the reading, uh, you probably saw there where I got the title, right? It says, uh, of course, first of all, we have this command, which we'll spend some time on here in a moment. But it says, these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you rise upon your heart and in your house. And so those will be our two main headings uh, as we go through this passage. Um, But let me say some words on these first couple of verses um, just by way of introduction. Uh, This this passage uh, is often called the Shema, uh, and that's just the Hebrew word for the first word of the passage, which is the word hear. Right? And so for for the Jewish people, especially of course for Christians as well, uh, this, this is a very, very significant passage uh, historically. So they call it the Shema. Um, it means here, but there's a lot more packed into that word than, than you might realize. Uh, so kids, maybe, maybe you've experienced this before where uh, your parents ask if you heard them, or maybe they tell you something and say, yes, I heard you. And they say, okay, well, yeah, I know you heard me, but did you really hear me? Or were, were you really listening Right, Because we might use the word hear as in like, okay, yeah, it goes in one ear and out the other. I heard it. But this word shema, the very first word of this passage, is much more than that. Right? It's, it's this little word listen. Right? It, could trans, it be, could be translated listen as well. And not only that, but listen so as to obey. And so um, it's interesting, the Hebrew language, it's, there's a smaller vocabulary in the Hebrew language than there is in English. And so, you know, we have the word hear, we have the word listen, we have the word obey. It's all wrapped up in one word in Hebrew. So, in fact, whenever you see the word obey in the Old Testament, it's probably this same word, right? This, this word shema is, is even the word for obey, okay? So, when it says hear, O Israel, this, this, this is saying more than just going in one ear and not the other. This is for us to hear, for us to listen, for us to obey, All right, so hear what? Well, essentially we see here who God is and how we are to respond. And this is likewise what we are to teach diligently to our children as we'll move along in the passage, right? So this is what we are to hear. This is what we are to teach diligently to our children, who God is and how we are to respond. And we kind of get that in a nutshell here, but really, I mean, when we look throughout all of Scripture, I mean, that's kind of what all of Scripture unpacks, isn't it? who God is and how we are to respond. Also, of course, it says who we are, which also is relevant to how we are to respond. And so who, who God is? Well, we see that in, uh, in this verse 4, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Let's just stop right there. Um, even this phrase, the Lord our God, tells us quite a bit. Right, right off the bat... We know that this isn't just some kind of generic idea of God. You know, in our, in our culture today, a lot of people have a very generic idea of God. They might say, oh, yeah, I love God. And, and maybe the, the next question you should ask them is, 
God who? <laughs> because they might have this idea of, you know, this, this uh, man in the sky with a beard or whatever. Um, but, uh, but we need to be specific, right? We need to know who God is. And when it says the Lord our God, well, I'm, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure you're probably aware that when you see the word Lord in all caps in, in your English Bibles, that this, this is for the word Yahweh, right? This is, this is the personal name of God, um, and it's, it's probably derived from the, the to be verb, uh, I am. Um, and so you remember Moses when he's at the burning bush and uh, he's asking you know, God to say, well, who should I say sent me? He says, tell them I am sent you. Well, it's in that same passage, right in that very context, that, that we see that God's name, Yahweh, the Lord, is revealed to Moses. And so there seems to be a connection between I am and this personal name, Yahweh, right? But when you see Lord in all caps, no, it's not just a generic Lord. This, this is God's personal name that he revealed to his people. And there's a lot of meaning packed into it. Right? This, this is the personal, eternally existent, self-sufficient God of the universe, right? So just in, the, in those first few words, the Lord our God, we see quite a bit here, even in the word our, right? Uh, this indicates relationship. He is our God. We are his people. And then finally, it says the Lord our God is one. That is, he is the one and only God. And even as a trinity, right, we know that at his very essence that God is one, okay? So, so this is telling us about who God is. And then finally, in verse 5, we see how we are to respond. All right, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, that's, um, that's all-encompassing, isn't it? Right? It's uh, with every part of who you are. So Blake uh, read from, from Matthew where Jesus uh, gives this command. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and actually in Mark, we also have the word strength, but notice the word mind there. Uh, I'm going to come back to this here in a moment, but uh, we see in Jesus's command that we have the word mind. Um, I'll, just, I'll just say say right now on the front end that this is, this is actually included in what we see here. Again, in, in the, the Hebrew language, this, this idea is included here, and we see uh, just in uh, heart, soul, and strength that this, this is all-encompassing. We are to love God with everything that we are. And that's, that's a really tall order, isn't it? Um, and this is where we see our need for Jesus, right? I said uh, it's, it's very important, so I want to come back to this again and again. We, we, we want to see this through a gospel lens, right? We're reading an Old Testament passage here, and, and, and this is a command that is given, a very important command even for us today. Uh, but we need to understand that we can't do that on our own, right? In fact, uh, when we see this command to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, that uh, uh, this shows us our need for Jesus, right? Because the fact is, anytime we sin in any way at all, we are not loving God with everything that we are, right? Because it's more than just a sentimentality, right? We, we, might, we might think, oh yeah, I love God with all my heart. I okay, well then that's going to be reflected in how you live, right? And so every time that we sin in any way at all, we're showing that we, that we don't do that. We don't do that perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. 
And so that, that shows us our need for Jesus. And so, of course, Jesus came to, to live uh, this life of perfect obedience on our behalf, to die for our sins. He was raised from the dead so that we might be forgiven. But not only forgiven, but also transformed. Right? Transformed so that we can begin to do this. Right? And in this life, still, we're not going to be able to do this perfectly, but, but, but the gospel of Jesus Christ should transform us in such a way that we can truly begin to love God in the way that we're commanded to here. Right? But first, we see our desperate need for Jesus and for forgiveness, and then through that, we find that transformation. So that's kind of the gospel lens that we need to be seeing this through as we think about this command. Okay, so again, we've seen who God is and how we are to respond. We could say a whole lot more on that, uh, but I want to go ahead and move on to verse 6 because what I want to focus on this morning is, again, these two headings, upon your heart and in your house. And so this is really more on, on, um, on how we are to uh, have this um, uh, applied to our lives, again, in our own hearts and in our own homes. And so, upon your heart. Um, so as we move forward, we, we will... Uh, of course, look at this uh, and really focus on this phrase that we are to teach them diligently to our children. Teach these words diligently to our children. And so, so again, we'll see how we are to apply this in the home. But the very first step given here is that we are to be sure that God's word is upon our heart. Right? So, uh, of course, that's true for all of us. Again, no matter what your what, no matter what your family status is, but especially as parents, as, as we seek to uh, raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as we, as we seek to teach our children diligently the things of the Lord, and we seek to train them up, well, we can't skip over this, right? These, these need to be on our heart first. It's, it's important uh, that, that it uh, grips us in such a way that we not only know these things, but that we embrace them, that we love them. And so that's, uh, that kind of gets at, uh, I think, what it means for, for these truths to be upon our heart. Um, and again, uh, it's, it's helpful for us to understand uh, the all-encompassing nature of some of this language, um, especially in, in the Hebrew. And so I, I mentioned earlier that uh, the word mind is, is incorporated in this, right? I, I, think, I think if we look at the previous verse here that we can kind of see um, uh, maybe as we compare that to how Jesus um, uh, puts this, we can see, uh, we can see some, some insight here. So what does it mean for God's word to be upon our heart? Well, just as we think about the concept of the heart, um, again, in verse 5, uh, especially in comparison to what was read earlier in the service from Jesus, you might have noticed that the word mind is not here in our text, right? It says, uh, you shall, this is verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So the question is, well, why isn't the word mind in there? It's not because um, in, in Moses' mind or in, in God's mind as he's revealing this to Moses, it's not, it's not because he's saying the mind is not important, but again, it's because um, the word heart in this case uh, encompasses um, not just our sentimentality, but it encompasses the mind as well. And so when we compare that to um, uh, 
the New Testament, when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, we see this in the Greek New Testament because um, the, the, the word mind and, uh, and maybe Greek thought is not so much um, uh, wrapped up in the idea of the heart as, as we see in uh, the Hebrew language. And so... Um, Understand that uh, just like with the word here, right? We said the word here, uh, it includes the idea of, of listening and obeying. When we, when we see these words that I command you shall be upon your heart, and we back up to verse 5, and we, and we see you shall love the Lord with all your heart, that uh, maybe the best way for us to think about this is that um, these truths are to sink from our head to our heart, Right? It's important that uh, the truths of God sink from our head to our heart. Or another way of thinking about this is that while it is possible for God's word to be in your mind and not in your heart, you cannot have God's word in your heart without it first being in your mind. Now, maybe that sounds really obvious to you. Well, of course not. But again, we, we live in a world that's... Um, very, very sentimental, I think, I think in a way that can be harmful, right? The, again, the idea of, oh, I love God. Well, God who? Um, this, this idea that, okay, we can cut straight to the heart. Well, no, it, it has to be in our minds first. And so, again, as, as, uh, the, the application here is that as all of us in general, but, but again, as, as parents, as, as we are seeking to raise our children up, as we want to teach our children diligently, uh, God's word must be on our heart, which means that it first must be in our mind, right? Uh, again, it can be in our mind and not in our heart, but if it's in our heart, it's got to be in our mind first. We've got to know who God is, and we want that to sink from our, from our head to our heart so that we can love and embrace what we know. So there's, uh, as often as the case, there's a couple of uh, ditches on either side to avoid, um, one is mere head knowledge, right? Um, when we read these words, it says, these commands that I give to you today shall be upon your heart. Well, that certainly is not mere head knowledge, okay? And some of us might lean that way. You know, I said our culture might tend to lead, uh, lean the other way, but, but some of us might lean this way of like, okay, yeah, I know. I know all these things. I know God's word. I can tell you the Ten Commandments or whatever. Well, that's good, but... Mere head knowledge is, is not what's in view here, right? So that's, that's, that's one ditch. On the, but then on the other side, again, is, is, is the idea that we can have God's word upon our heart without it first being in our head, that, that we can somehow bypass the mind. You can't do that, right? So that would be the other uh, ditch for us to avoid. Again, I, I think a really helpful way for us to think about it is that we want the truths of God to sink from our head to our heart, right? So, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. When we consider who God is and how we are to respond, and when we look at the whole of Scripture and we see who God is and how we are to respond, we've got to know that before it can be upon our heart. We've got to know it and then it sinks to our hearts. And so that's, that's the first step. That's, that's an important thing for us um, Again, no matter what our family status, but then especially as parents, is we want to teach these things to our children.
All right, so let's move on now to in your house. It's to be upon your heart and in your house. And, uh, and, and this really is where the rubber meets the road. Okay, so we're going to get into some, some real pa- practical application here. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So notice the natural progression here from teaching to talking. Right? You shall teach them diligently to your children. And then from there, we go talk of them as you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. There's something here I think is very important. I think that probably the vast majority of Christians, at least today, uh, tend to think that they can get by with simply organic discipleship in the home. That is, oh, well, we'll just kind of talk about things as they come up. And that kind of sounds like what we see in the latter part of it, right? As you sit in your house, as you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Okay, so, so my approach to discipleship of the home is just that, hey, as things come up, I'm going to be available to my kids. Or maybe I'm, you know, I'm just going to try to be mindful and thinking about ways that I can teach my kids in this way or in that way. Of course, that's better than nothing. But, but is, is this really the best way? And is, is this really what we're even called to do in this passage? I think, I think that the, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, I think what we see here is that this is actually what flows on the tail end of the intentional teaching them diligently. Right? So you see, you see that flow there? You shall teach them diligently and they shall talk of them as you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you rise. It's not, it's not enough, first of all, just to talk about things as they come up. I mean, think, think about um, the, the way the world is going after our children. I mean, wh- whether it's uh, at school or the, the different uh, activities they're involved in, the stuff that's maybe coming through their computer screen or their cell phone, their friends. I mean, there, there is this onslaught of, uh, well, I, th- I like what Kevin DeYoung has said, that you know, the world is catechizing our children. Right? The, the, the world is, is, is teaching our children in a very systematic way, in a very uh, kind of sneaky way, we might say, but all, oftentimes it is quite overt. But, but the world is, is working very, very hard. And so just for us to kind of say, okay, yeah, I'm going to talk about things as they come up, first of all, that's simply not enough. But the, the second problem is, uh, kind of as I alluded to before, that it just doesn't happen that way. Um, it, 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 if you really want to talk of these things as you sit in your house when you walk by the way and when you rise, that's going to flow from some more intentional steps. And so I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's similar to personal prayer, okay? So um, Scripture tells us to pray continually. But what if someone said, okay, yeah, so I'm just going to just kind of try to pray whenever I think about it. When things come up, I'm going to pray about them. Well, yes, that's a good thing to do, um, I don't know, maybe some people can be successful at that, but, but that doesn't work for me. Um, I know that for me that I need to set aside times to pray, that there needs to be an intentionality. And, and, and as I intentionally set aside time to pray, 
then that begins to shape my life in such a way that from that can kind of flow more spontaneous prayer uh, that is continual. And, I mean, we see it even in the example of Jesus, right? Jesus would often go off intentionally to places to pray. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that Jesus had an intentionality in his prayer life. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to pray about things as they come up. And so it's, it's the same kind of concept when it comes to discipleship in the home. To say, oh, well, we're just going to talk about things as they come up. Eh, that's probably just not going to happen as much as you think it is or as much as you would like it to You've got to start with something intentional from which all of this flows. And so then, um, we can't skip over this call to teach them diligently. Right? I, think, I think that's where we see the, the intentionality. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And so then the question is, well, what does this look like? What does it look like to teach our children diligently? Uh, it can certainly take different forms, uh, but one pretty simple, straightforward way is to have family worship. Uh, that's that's a, a, fra- a, a term that's been used throughout history. A, another uh, might be family devotionals. You can call it whatever you like. But, but basically, this is an intentional time uh, where you gather your family regularly uh, for biblical instruction. And more than that, for worship. Uh, I have a, a, a book here by the title Family Worship by Don Whitney. And uh, I, am, I am eternally indebted to him. So I had Dr. Whitney for, I think, four different classes in, in seminary. And so it was really, it was really influenced by him. And, um, man, I'm, I'm just so thankful that through his teaching, that whenever, uh, so our oldest uh, son, Caleb, he's going to be 14 here in a couple months. When he was just one year old, uh, we started to have family worship. And in fact, I remember um, our, our intent to begin with was like, okay, maybe we'll do this like two or three times a week. Uh, but pretty quickly after we had family worship, you know, for uh, a few weeks or maybe just a few times, uh, Caleb, every night he'd say, family worship, family worship. And so, worship, yeah, that's how you'd say it. Uh, but he, he wouldn't let us get away without gathering together as a family and of course at that point in time it was you know it was, it was very simple stuff like singing Jesus loves me and uh, I can't even remember exactly what we would all do then but we, we, we would have a time of family worship and then of course uh, over the years as uh, our as we've had more children as our children have grown uh, that's expanded and it's just become um, such such a blessing um, nothing has impacted our family more than this discipline of gathering together and having family worship. Um, and, uh, and again, I, I, I consider myself so indebted to Dr. Whitney and even to Caleb, you know, as, as a one-year-old, uh, you know, almost two, I think maybe at that time, uh, you know, really like actually holding us to it. And, and now, I mean, maybe like five times a year, we will, for one reason or another, not have family worship. It's just become a part of our family. And, of course, uh, you know, for our kids' biblical instruction, just for our, our own souls, it has been such a blessing. But even as a family, right, it's just a great time uh, for us as a family. We do it in the evenings. You can do it around the dinner table. Again, there's flexibility here. Uh, the idea is just to be intentional about gathering together as a family and having this time of discipleship, even a time of worship. Um, 
So I said that uh, it was a blessing for me that we started so early through some influences in my life. Um, it's a little bit harder when your kids are older. Uh, and and, and I, I have no idea where, where you all, all are on this discipline. That's kind of one of the difficulties about uh, coming to a church that you're not uh, too familiar with. I don't know where you are on this. Um, I'll say whenever I came into my church, um, I don't think anybody was having family worship. And, and, and I don't judge them for that. It's, it's something that um, maybe hasn't been emphasized so much, uh, at least uh, in, in this time and place of church history. I think there actually is a revival in it, which, which, is, which is really encouraging. But uh, nobody was doing it. But one, one of my greatest encouragements as a pastor is, has been seeing families start to have family worship. And, and man, like... Uh, if, if your kids like already teenagers, like I said, it's going to be harder, right? You're, um, just because you're, you're not in the you're not in the uh, uh, habit of doing it. I don't know. Maybe your kids might even roll your eyes a little bit. Okay, let, let me speak to you, kids, you older kids. If your parents, if you don't do family worship, and your parents say, "Hey, let's try this," man, I want you to encourage them. Don't don't make it f- uh, feel like they're pulling teeth um, uh, because it's uh, th- this, this this involves the whole family. You know, whenever, whenever I was a kid growing up, uh, we, we didn't have regular family worship. Um, but, uh, man, I, I, I admire my dad so much, and he's, he's such a godly man. He was, he was a deacon in the church. Again, it, just, it wasn't something that was taught. I think maybe, maybe at some point uh, when I was a teenager, there, there, was, there was something that spurred my dad to, to start trying to get the family together for family worship. So I don't know if maybe the pastor did start to, to teach about it or something. Um, and so I remember there were a couple of spurts where, where we did it, and then it fell through the cracks. But just let me say that even the fact that my dad tried, I mean, I remember as, as uh, I don't know how old I was, maybe 13 or 14, but I remember like, like actually thinking like, yeah, this, this is really great. I'm glad that my dad is doing this. And so parents, even if your kids are, are rolling their eyes, I bet you deep down inside they're thinking the same thing, right? Because they see that, you are, that you're being intentional, that you're really trying to lead the family in this way. Um, and so, uh, so I, I just want to say I, I consider myself so blessed that I had the influences that I did whenever I was uh, young and when we were just starting out. But no matter where you are, you can start. But for um, some of you, uh, parents with younger kids, if you were to start now and you were to have family worship consistently through you know, 18 years, that's, that's like over 6,000 sessions of family worship where you're gathering together as a family, you're reading the word. And I'll kind of get into the elements here in just a minute. But that's 6,000 times of gathering together as a family, teaching your children diligently in an intentional way. Think about the impact that can have. So I remember Dr. Whitney sharing about how um, at his daughter's graduation, so she went to a, a small Christian school, and um, during the graduation, the, I, I think the, the student would say a few words to the parents and then vice versa. Um, but whenever she was there on the stage with her dad, uh, tears just started to roll down her eyes, and she thanked him for gathering the family together every evening for family worship and for having this time of discipleship, this time of worship with the family. It truly is a meaningful thing. So what, is the, what does it look like? Um, the format is uh, simple. It's much like corporate worship, just like we've done this morning. 
uh, read, sing, pray. That's, that's what we do as a family. And so um, we'll gather together and usually just read a portion of Scripture. Um, so la- last year, we, uh, we set a really big goal to read through the entirety of the Bible. We, 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 didn't do, we didn't complete that yet as a family. We kind of started to slow down about, about halfway through. Um, but, uh, but we're still working on that. We're, we're working through reading through the Bible. But, of course, at, at other times, we've just kind of focused on, okay, we're going to read through this book or that book. Um, but then also we have like a book on church history. Every once in a while, we'll kind of read a section through this book on church history. Sometimes uh, we'll have a question and answer night. Um, where the kids, you know, bring up questions. And, uh, and, and again, dads, parents, it's, it's not something to be intimidated by. Um, you, don't even have, you don't have to prepare for it in any way. You just you open up the Bible. You just open up conversation. If you don't know the answer, that's fine. Tell, tell your kids, okay, well, I'll get back to you on it. But it's, 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 just, it's just a time to gather as the family, to read God's word. Um, or maybe, like, sometimes we'll just kind of talk about, hey, what, what did you learn in church today? Um, or, you know, so we'll kind of mix it up sometimes. So we have that time of instruction, and then we sing. Right? We, we, uh, we usually just, we have hymn books that we, uh, that we have in our living room, and we'll just open up the hymn books and sing. Now, again, you know, if you start that with teenagers, I don't know, the teenagers might think that's kind of weird. Um, that's the benefit of starting younger. Um, you know, but, but there's flexibility. This, this is just a suggestion, right? If, if, if you're not a singing family or, or if you can't get your kids to do it, um, I don't know, you could read a psalm. You could maybe play something on the TV, like, like just a worship song to listen to, something like that. Um, but I really do, like, oh, I love sing, just, just singing a hymn with my family. It's such a precious, precious thing. And then we pray. And so sometimes I pray, sometimes uh, Emily prays, sometimes we'll ask one of the kids to pray, sometimes we'll have specific requests we pray for, or sometimes they'll just be whatever. Um, and, uh, and that's how we close. There's no doubt that this is a, a counter-cultural thing. Um, if the vast majority of people in our culture you know, peeked into our living room and, and saw us you know, reading the Bible and singing a hymn, they would think, oh, what a bunch of weirdos. Mission accomplished. Um, if your family doesn't look weird in some ways, or maybe in a lot of ways, then uh, you're, you're probably in some trouble. Um, we, we, we need to stand out. And, and even the people of Israel, right, as, as they're receiving this instruction, the people of Israel were to stand out from all the people around them. I mean, goodness, it was even in like the, uh, uh, the, their food laws and their clothing laws and things like that. I think that a, a big purpose of it was so that they would stand out. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to dress weird and things like that. But, but what I'm saying is, is that we are called to be different, right? We're called to be different, and, uh, and, and this is one way. Um, this is weird in our culture, uh, but unfortunately, it's kind of become even weird in the church, Right? And again, I, 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 I don't, there's, there's flexibility here, right? I, I don't want to put something upon you or upon anybody that Scripture doesn't um, clearly teach, right? So as far as like, again, you can call it family worship, call it family devotionals. The format can be, there's lots of flexibility. There's flexibility on the time, but, but to have some kind of intentional teaching of your children. Again, not where it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, we'll teach them here and there, but some kind of teaching them diligently, I think that that is something that we are called to do. And, um, and when we do that, yeah, it's, it's going to make us look a little different. Um, let me read to you 
just one short section here from, uh, from this book, Family Worship. Um, this is on what, uh, what we see in the early church. This is from uh, a work called Antiquities of the Christian Church, I think is what it's called. Um, but it's uh, just like towards the very end of the first century, so like right after the New Testament time. This is um, apparently what, uh, what was common among families at that time. It says this. At an early hour in the morning, the family was assembled and a portion of scripture was read from the Old Testament, which was followed by a hymn and a prayer in which thanks were offered up to the Almighty for preserving them during the silent watches of the night and for his goodness in permitting them to meet in health of body and soundness of mind. And at the same time, his grace was implored to defend them amid the dangers and temptations of the day, to make them faithful to every duty and enable them in all respects to walk worthy of their Christian vocation. Okay, so that's in the morning. And then it says, In the evening, before retiring to rest, the family again assembled. The same form of worship was observed as in the morning, with this difference, that the service was considerably protracted beyond the period which could be conveniently allotted to it in the commencement of the day. In other words, it was longer. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so, so we, we see in church history uh, that, that there was a commitment to this, at least in the beginning. And, and then we, uh, I, think, I think during the, the Reformation time, we see a, a kind of an increase of that as well. Of course, the cues are coming from, from Scripture itself. And so uh, I, I do recommend this book to you. It's, again, it's called Family Worship by Donald Whitney. And actually in the previous chapter, he outlines support for this practice of gathering your family together and for having this time of worship. And, and uh, he gives uh, examples and support from people, from characters like uh, Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Job and Asaph and Paul and Peter. And of course, the passage that we're looking at this morning, right, this call for us to teach diligently. And so... Um, this, this, is, this is something that uh, we've seen throughout church history at different times. Something that is it's, it's possible. It's possible for us today, I think, to, to, to make this something that is no longer abnormal, but the norm, right? Like, like my hope, my prayer would be that in our churches, that the weird families would be the ones that don't gather together and worship as a family. Um, and uh, just one encouraging example to me is from the Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter. Uh, whenever he first began his ministry in uh, Kidderminster, he said that scarcely one family on each street honored God in family worship. Let me just pause right there. He's saying that that's a bad thing, but today, <laughs> one family on each street, that would be pretty incredible. But he says when he, when he got there that there was scarcely one family on each street that honored God and family worship. By the end of his ministry, there were streets in which every family did so. That right there, that's revival. That's reformation, right? To, to, to see God being worshiped in the home and house after house after house after house, right? Again, first must be upon our hearts, uh, but then we are to bring this to our homes, Let's look, let's look back down at our text. In verses 6 through 7. You shall teach, uh, and these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And so we see, uh, and the second part of this, 
what flows from that intentional instruction, right? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. And notice the all-encompassing nature of this. Very similar to what we saw before, right? Like we are to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and and strength. There's an all-encompassing nature there. And here there's an all-encompassing nature in, in, in how this is to work itself out in our lives, Notice there, there's, there's opposites given here, right? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, right? Those are sitting, walking, right? It's giving that whole spectrum. When you lie down, when you rise, right? And so it is to be part of the ebb and flow of our lives so that uh, it's natural in your home to talk about the things of God. You know, sometimes and, and even in, uh, in Christian homes, it can be very awkward to talk about spiritual things, right? Just because um, maybe it's, uh, it's kind of getting to real personal matters. And I don't know, some people just feel awkward talking about that kind of thing. But um, this should be something that is part of the ebb and flow of our lives where uh, you and your spouse, you and your kids, uh, as you sit in your house, as you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you're talking about these things, Again, that flows from something more intentional. Um, and, but when it does, uh, what a beautiful thing that is, right? Uh, for like uh, our, our homes uh, should be just these bright lights. And by the way, invite people into your home so they can see that, right? Have somebody over for dinner and then afterwards do family worship. And they'll be like, oh, this is weird. But then they'll say like, wow, this is, this is incredible, or, 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 just, or just when you invite people into your homes and, and they see, like as a family, how you relate to one another and, and how it's so natural to talk about the things of God, like that can be so encouraging and so inspiring uh, to people. It really is uh, a beautiful thing. Now, I want to cover all my bases this morning um, because, as I said, I know that not everybody in here has kids in the home. Again, hopefully you've been um, interested and invested in what I'm saying because this is important for the kingdom of God at large. Uh, But there are other ways that this might specifically apply to um, maybe, for example, people who uh, you've had kids come and go already. What is this to you? Well, uh, maybe depends on some things. Uh, Perhaps some of you, by God's grace, that you were very faithful and intentional and strategic in the discipleship of your children. And again, there's flexibility on, on, on what that can look like. But, but you, you, were, you were intentional with it. And now you can equip others to do the same thing. You can encourage young families. Say, hey, here's, here's, here's what I do with my kids. And, and hey, let, let, me, let me give you this suggestion. Let me give you this resource. Uh, again, as, as the body of Christ... Right, we're all one big family, and so uh, so you can be a grand, and, and probably maybe you have grandkids of your own, and so of course you can speak into that. But you have spiritual grandkids in the church, uh, and you have families that you can speak into. I would encourage you to do that. But maybe some of you uh, this morning, maybe you're a little bit discouraged by what I've said so far because you think, you know what, I wasn't intentional with the discipleship of my children. And they've come and gone. Um, my encouragement to you is twofold. First of all, God is gracious. Um, for all of us, there are ways that he works through us. And there are ways that he works in spite of us. 
Um, and like I said, even like, you know, thinking about my own dad, man, my dad, uh, he did a good job. And, 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 and he's, uh, he's a godly man that I admire so much. This, this was something for whatever reason, like uh, it, 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 didn't, it didn't stick in our house. Um, but there's grace and God works. God works through various means. But even so, I mean, maybe you do have a little bit of regret. You think, you know what, what I'm hearing here sounds wonderful. I wish I would have done that. Well, even your regret can make a difference in the life of others. You can say to young families, you say, you know what, I really wish, I really wish I had done this. Um, and so, so maybe you can learn from, from what I neglected and you can, you can really be intentional about uh, discipling your children in the home, right? Use that, use that for good. And guess what? You can still do it with your spouse, right? Family worship actually doesn't require you to have children in the home. Of course, in this passage, there is a focus on the children, right? You teach them diligently to your children. Um, but as we saw in some of the other passages that were read this morning, uh, as, as husbands and wives, that we are to glorify God in our relationships with each other, and uh, that can certainly include um, worshiping together in some way every day. So you can still do that. But then what about those who uh, maybe never will have children, maybe never be married? Uh, Likewise, you can be an encouragement to families in your own unique way. Uh, But as I said in the beginning, Um, No matter what your family status, we're all called to have God's word upon our heart and in our house. And so certainly all that we covered in that first point, right, um, that these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. And the idea of of this sinking from your head to your heart, for for, for you knowing who God is and how you are to respond and, and, and truly embracing and loving that, right, that applies to all of us, right? These words shall be upon your heart heart. Moreover, um, even as a single person, you can make your home a sacred place. Have you ever thought about that, about how, how your home, the, the place in which you dwell, should be a sacred, a sacred place? How can you do that? How can you make your home a sacred place? Well, of course, again, it begins with these words being upon your heart, uh, with you truly being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But uh, as we come to verses 8 and 9, and we'll, we'll close with these verses, um, once again we see that there's, there's some intentional things that we can all do, even single people, uh, uh, that uh, can um, help God's Word to be in our house. So if we look at beginning in verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on, your do- on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So here we see some intentional ways for the people of Israel here. Some intentional ways that they are to have God's word in their house. Um, I don't think that this was meant as a literal command. Uh, but later on, Jews began to take it as such. Um, maybe you've seen, you know, like uh, Orthodox Jews, sometimes they'll have like a, a box on their forehead. It's called a phylactery. And in that box, they uh, will have like scriptures, the, Jew, uh, you know, the Hebrew scriptures in there. 
Well, this, this is straight from what we see here in our passage, right? The, uh, on the frontlets, between your eyes, right? They, they literally do that. They didn't do that right away, but, but later on, that kind of tradition developed to where they began to take this quite literally. Or you shall write them on the doorpost of your house, right? So uh, Jews will have in their homes what's called a mezuzah, which is uh, they, they put it on their doorpost. And actually, um, on or, or, or in that mezuzah, they will have the Shema, this very passage uh, written in it. And so they took it quite literally uh, later on in in their history. And there, there's maybe a danger of, of legalism there. Again, I don't, I don't think that the command was, was meant like you actually literally have to do these things. So there's maybe a danger of, of legalism, but I do think that there is something meaningful and helpful about physical markers, about doing physical things in your home. So for example, I mean, just ways that we could apply that uh, to, to our circumstance. Um, Especially ladies. I say ladies because you tend to maybe spend a little bit more time uh, fixing your hair and stuff in front of the mirror. But uh, like putting a Bible verse on the mirror. Any of you do that? Any of you do something like that? Yeah, yeah. Put, put a Bible verse on the mirror. Right? That's just one very uh, practical thing that you can do. Um, there's something that uh, I, I found out about recently. We considered doing this as a family. We haven't, we haven't done it yet, but um, you can like, get these temporary tattoos uh, of, of scripture verses. I think it's like a new scripture verse every month, and you can just like, put it on your forearm or something, right? And so you look, you look all big and bad, but it's just a temporary tattoo. And, and, it, and it actually ha- it'll have like, the first letter of each word. And so, you know, it's kind of like a, a way for you to memorize the scripture by, by kind of jogging your memory, by seeing the first letter of each word. It's kind of done in a, like a real uh, creative way. Um, just having a nice big fat Bible on your coffee table, right? Uh, maybe like a nice heirloom Bible or, or, or maybe even just some devotional or something. Like that's kind of like a permanent fixture in your house. Like it sits there on the coffee table, hopefully to read, right? Um, but, but, it's, but it's even just a physical reminder. It's, it's something in your house. Maybe a special place um, in your home uh, for prayer and Bible study. It could just be like a desk or, or an armchair, a closet, a spare room. But like this place is set aside and this is, this is where I go to, to pray and to study the word. Um, maybe artwork, that orients your heart and mind on the gospel. Right? To be very intentional about, okay, these, um, so, so in, in, uh, I, I'm a big Pilgrim's Progress nerd, and in our, uh, in our living room, we've got like uh, four big framed posters that actually show like the, the journey. So it, Pilgrim's Progress is this allegory of the Christian life written by John Bunyan in the 1600s. And, and uh, it, uh, uh, it's, it's his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And he goes through all these trials and he has to stay on the straight and narrow. And it's just, it's just this beautiful analogy filled with biblical allusions um, for the Christian life. And so, you know, we've got these posters on the wall and it kind of is a reminder of, okay, you know, he went through the slough of despond, but he came out. And, and, and here he is through the valley of the shadow of death, but the Lord delivered him and, and, and so on. Um, and, and, and places of encouragement as well. Uh, so, so we can have things in our house that orient our hearts and minds to the gospel. So those are some real specific things. But, but more broadly, 
more broadly, the idea is to do whatever it takes, to, to be intentional, to be creative, to have God's word upon your heart and in your house. And finally, I want to remind you uh, again that it's so very important that we see this through the lens of the gospel. Um, because again, this is an Old Testament passage. This, 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 this is the passage that puts an onus upon us to do something, but we can only do that through the strength that's provided through the work of the Spirit in our lives. And even then we fail. We need the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, but more than that, like as we think about like what is it that is to be upon our hearts and in our homes, well, yes, the law of God is good, right? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's good, but we, can't, we don't want the law without the gospel, right? Remember, the law, when we fail, it points us to our need for Jesus. It points us to the one who kept the law for us. The one who went to the cross and took the punishment that we deserve. And then through his spirit, we are able to be transformed in such a way that we can actually begin to keep it, right? There is, there is hope that we, like we are being conformed into the image of Christ day by day. That's the whole journey that we're on right now, right? And so, so the, the gospel must saturate everything. Um, what it is that we have upon our heart, what it is that we teach to our children, right? We don't want to make Pharisees. We don't want to just say, say you know, here's the law, that's that. But we, we, we want, we want our, our own hearts, we want our children, we want our homes to be saturated with the gospel of grace. The grace and love of Jesus that truly transforms. And so that's my prayer for my own home. You know, I, I, I by no means uh, claim to do this perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, but again, I say, man, I was, I was so blessed to have some of these so some good influences early on that I think put us on a good track. And, and I'm so passionate uh, to, to encourage others uh, to, to get on that path, to get on that path of, of being intentional to disciple in the home. But again, for all of us, no matter what our stage of life, no matter what our family situation, there's something for us here. And so I pray that you've been blessed. I pray that, um, that God's word uh, well, we know that it will not return void. And so with that, let me close us with the word of prayer. God, we are thankful for your word. Um, I pray, Lord, that in all the various situations uh, that we have uh, here in this room, that your spirit would apply this word to our hearts appropriately. Um, I pray, Lord, that, that we would... Um, see this all through the lens of the gospel, that we would uh, be able to rejoice now together as a church body, uh, but then as we go our own ways, Lord, that, uh, that, that, that we would just constantly be enamored by the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it would be upon our hearts and in our houses. Um, I pray, Lord, that uh, um, the, the, the different examples and applications that I've given, Lord, um, that you would use those as you see fit. But most of all, we pray th these words from the scriptures, Lord, that, um, that they would sink in deeply and that, um, that we would uh, that we'd be changed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.